Hello, everybody, and welcome to Charts with Dan as we round the corner on the end of the summer movie season. The Labor Day holiday is coming up, and it's a pretty bummer ending for this summer, to be honest. We did so well at some points, but August has been pretty flat, and this was one of the worst movie-going weekends of the year so far, at least as far as total revenue goes. So we're not exactly ending on a high note, but there are still some things to talk about, including one debut that was so low, I, I actually want to talk about how badly the release was probably screwed up on it. But before we talk about any of that, I'm going to thank my partners, as always, at Carbon Health. They've been teamed up with me on the show for the entire year, and there's a reason. It's because we both believe in what the other one is doing. I particularly believe in their mission, which is to provide healthcare to as many people as possible, as affordably as possible. If you get the Carbon Health app, you can see where there may be a physical location near you. And if there's not one, you can still use the app to do things like virtual appointments if you just can't get to a location or there's not one close enough. Thank you, as always, to Carbon Health for being my partner here on the show. And let's look at the box office for this past weekend. Ooh, just a rough, rough weekend. At number one, it's kind of a hollow victory, is The Invitation, which actually came in about $200,000 below the original estimate. It comes in, remember, this is a number one performance at $6,805,000. So it takes the crown. Yay. At number two is Bullet Train in its fourth week with a 30.1% drop from last week and a $5.6 million total. Yes, it's still at number two, but the movie has definitely not overperformed, and we're still going to see how it does worldwide, but it doesn't look like this is going to be a big hit, which is kind of surprising considering it's a summer movie, it's an action movie, you've got several names and faces, stars that people like. Just didn't really catch on that much. At number three is Idris Elba's Beast in its second week with a 57.9% drop. Not great given that it didn't have a huge debut last week, a $4.8 million total. Top Gun Maverick, it's the summer, so Top Gun Maverick is still in the top five. It left for like one week, and now it's a fixture yet again. And it's 14th week of release. This just doesn't happen. I don't know how many times I can say it. This just does not happen anymore, folks. 20.2% drop and a $4.7 million total. Dragon Ball Super Superhero, we've seen this with a lot of the anime features. They have impressive openings, but then the bottom just drops out in the second week. A 77.9% drop in week two with a $4.6 million total. At number six is DC League of Super Pets in its fifth week with a 27.2% drop and a $4.1 million total. At number seven is the movie that I'm going to talk about in just a second at a little more length, which is 3,000 Years of Longing, the latest from director George Miller. It debuts at number seven with $2.9 million. This is a $60 million movie, so we're going to definitely talk about that in just a second. At number eight is Minions, The Rise of Gru with a 27.2% drop from last week and a $2.7 million total. It is now officially out-earning Thor Love and Thunder, which is at number nine, just behind Minions with a 34 0.9% drop from last week and a $2.6 million total. And then hanging around the top 10, at least for one more weekend, is where the crawdads sing in its seventh week, a 28.2% drop and a $2.3 million total. So let's talk a little bit about 3,000 Years of Longing. It stars Tilda Swinton and Idris Elba. It's the latest from George Miller. His last movie was one that you might have heard of called Mad Max Fury Road. So let's look at where it falls in his filmography. These are the top five George Miller openings domestically. At number one is his last movie, Mad Max Fury Road, which put up a $45.4 million opening weekend back in the summer of 2015. Hard to believe it was that long ago. 
George Miller has a weird filmography because number two is the first Happy Feet movie with a $41.5 million opening. And number three is Happy Feet 2 with a $21.2 million opening. He makes movies for everybody. Then we go back to the 80s. At number four, The Witches of Eastwick with $9.4 million in its opening weekend. And then at number five, Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome with Tina Turner and Mel Gibson at $7.2 million. These are not adjusted for inflation. If you were to adjust for inflation, then three 3,000 Years of Longing would likely be George Miller's worst wide opening domestically ever. Last week I had a little bit of fun with the charts, and this week I decided to carry that over. So instead of also looking at Idris Elba or Tilda Swinton, I decided to look at the history of genies on film. So these are the top five openings for movies that feature genies or gins. Now I did not include 2010's Clash of the Titans, which does include a band of gins, but I, this is really movies that are genie or gin forward, not necessarily just movies that have a genie or gin in them. Of course the top two openings are like the cave painting of genie movies, 2019's Aladdin, which opened, opened with $91.5 million back in 2019. At number two, 1992's original animated Aladdin, which opened in its wide opening weekend with $25.7 million. Then we take a big dip. If you weren't around in the 90s and you don't know Shaq, boy, do I have a movie to tell you about. It's called Kazam, and Shaq plays a genie. That's really all you need to know. It opened to $7.1 million. Then we have Wishmaster at $6 million at number four. And then we go down to DuckTales the movie, Treasure of the Lost Lamp, which was released back in the 90s at $3.8 million. Again, none of these are adjusted for inflation and still 3,000 years of longing could not best these movies from the 90s and the 2000s. So what happened here? Because this is more than just a movie that doesn't connect with audiences. This is a movie where something went wrong in the release. And I, I think there was a couple of things that went really badly. Number one is that it was very bad timing. And then the other thing was that it was completely mismarketed. Let's look at the bad timing first of all. You have a $60 million movie here starring Tilda Swinton and Idris Elba that's opening in August, which means that the trailers for this movie are going to be competing with trailers for other summer movies and some of the bigger you know blockbusters that are coming out in the fall and it seems like mgm who put 60 million dollars into this movie felt like they had to market it as this big mainstream crazy romp from the madcap mind of george miller which this movie very much is not and I see why you had to do it, because Tilda Swinton and Idris Elba are great, but the two of them together aren't exactly going to put butts in seats for a summer movie on their own, so you have to market it a certain way, but I just really think that all of it was a miscalculation. This was a fall movie, I think. This is a movie that should have had a platformed release. You can prepare audiences better for what kind of movie it is. You can add a bit of the art prestige tag to it as well. So you're not just trying to draw in the blockbuster crowd. I'm not saying that this movie ever would have been a huge hit, but I do think that it could have done a little bit better because anytime you have a movie that comes out in wide release, with the names attached to it that it has attached to it, for it to debut in the single digits outside of the top five, something obviously went wrong beyond just the fact that it's a weird movie, which it also, that's part of it. 3,000 Years of Longing is just a weird movie, but it was also a weird movie that was mismarketed that obviously didn't find its audience, and you have to look at the studio. 
when it comes to that. It's not just the movie. You have to look at the studio. Looking at the movies that dropped out of the top 10 this weekend, we have Nope, which drops out of the top 10 after five weeks, and then Bodies, 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 which spent only two weeks in the top 10. I've got to be honest. I really thought Bodies, Bodies, Bodies was going to catch on more. I guess that just shows that I don't really know what the kids are going to enjoy, but it's certainly a movie that I liked, and I'm surprised that it fell off as quickly as it did. Speaking of falling off, let's look at the overall performance for this weekend when we compare it to the average from 2015 to 2019 and even last year's average. And for the first time this year, we dip below where we were in 2021. And why is that? Well, it just comes down to the marketplace. It comes down to what was available. Last year at this time, you had Free Guy in week two. You had Paw Patrol the movie come out, which was a hybrid release, but still did respectable numbers when you look at the overall box office. And you had some carryovers. Here, we had a bunch of new movies that nobody was really that interested in going to see. And we had a bunch of holdovers that mostly have run their course. Even though Top Gun Maverick is still in the top five, Obviously, the vast majority of its money-making power is behind it. So we just had a marketplace that didn't have a whole bunch of movies that people cared about, which is something else that we'll talk about in a few minutes. And that leads us to a very, very not impressive box office weekend. So this is still an industry that is very much in recovery, and it does feel like all of the studios put all of their energy and effort into figuring out the first three months of the summer and then got to like August and September and were like, oh... Yeah, we didn't plan for that. So that's something they're going to have to work on. You do have to program 12 months a year, more or less, and we're seeing a really flat result because of this lack of programming and a bunch of releases that people just don't care about. Let's look at the top five films per theater. At number one was an IMAX re-release of Rogue One, A Star Wars Story. It was in 255 theaters, brought in $4,159 per theater. I actually went to see it this past weekend. I really love that movie. I'm a big fan of Rogue One, so it was great to see it on the big screen again. There was a preview of the Andor show that's coming out on Disney+, Plus, which I actually think looks pretty interesting. Gotta be honest, I had no interest in the Andor show, but now I'm definitely gonna be looking forward to checking it out. At number two is The Automat, which is a documentary that popped up for the first time several months ago. It was back in one theater this past weekend at $2,373 per theater. At number three is Lost Illusions, which is a film from France. It debuted at the Venice Film Festival last year. It won seven César Awards, including Best Picture. The Césars are basically the French Oscars. This movie was playing at the Orinda Theater in Orinda, California. At number four is The Invitation, the only wide release on the per theater list this week with $2,185 in each of its 3,114 theaters. And then at number five is a movie from Spain called The Good Boss, starring Javier Bardem. The Good Boss won six Goya Awards, which would be the Spanish Oscars, including Best Picture. So a very internationally prestigious weekend here when we're talking per theater average. The Good Boss stars Javier Bardem. It was Spain's entrant into the Academy Awards last year over the movie Parallel Mothers, which ended up earning Javier Bardem's wife, Penelope Cruz, a nomination for Best Actress, while Javier Bardem was also nominated, but for a different movie. Movie, not the good boss, but being the Ricardos. What a tangled web we weave on this chart this weekend.
Looking at the top five films in limited release, so these were the top earners that were playing in 1,000 theaters or fewer. At number one was Rogue One, A Star Wars Story in 255 theaters. It brought in just over a million dollars, breaking open in 902 theaters, which is close to a wide release, but brought in less than a million dollars, $985,921. Orphan First Kill actually added theaters. It played in 557 theaters and brought in $918,000. Lal Singh Shada in its third week brought in over $160,000. And then in week three and fading fast, it's so depressing. Emily the Criminal lost a bunch of theaters. It's now playing in 213 theaters and it made just over $136,000 at number five. And this chart is where I also want to talk about release strategy because I really don't understand what some of these distributors were doing with a few of these films in the top five. First, we have Breaking, which is a fantastic performance from John Boyega. This should not be a late summer movie. There are plenty of spots in the fall where you could have put breaking when audiences are more attuned to the kind of prestige film. John Boyega's performance deserves awards consideration and it just gets buried in the dog days of August in 900 theaters and the fact that it is at almost a wide release already and didn't bring in one million dollars means that it's not likely to expand beyond this. It'll probably just slip quietly into the night this is not a quality issue with the movie. It's well-reviewed critically. People that have seen the movie seem to have enjoyed it. This is an issue with not getting the word out and not picking the proper time to release the film. Then we have the movie Orphan First Kill, which has been doing well in limited release. It's a day-and-date release from Paramount+, Plus, which means that they put it on their streaming service and then in limited release on the exact same day. But when you look at this franchise, the first Orphan movie, which came out in 2009, did 40-plus million dollars domestically. This movie movie has been well-reviewed by critics, which is not common for a horror movie and especially a horror sequel. And yet it seems like Paramount did the streaming first strategy with this film when it could have easily, looking at this marketplace, put it in theaters and done pretty okay with it. So I think this was a miscalculation on Paramount's part. And then Emily the Criminal, another movie very similar to Breaking. It came out of Sundance this year. It has a great lead performance from Aubrey Plaza that I'm now worried is going to get overlooked because it was stuck in limited release in the dog days of summer when people are not looking for an awards performance like I think Aubrey Plaza gives in this film. Fall and summer are two different seasons when it comes to movies. The buzz is different. The strategy is different. What people are looking for when they go to the movies is different. And Breaking and Emily the Criminal particularly, I think, were horribly mismanaged, and it may hurt these films when it comes to recognition at the end of the year. It's kind of a double-edged sword because I love that there are places like Bleecker Street and Roadside that pick these movies up out of Sundance for distribution, but at the same time, you've got to be able to play big league ball here. You've got to be able to get these movies in the theaters to compete with the studio movies that are going up during awards season. Breaking, I saw a few trailers for. I didn't see any advertisements for it anywhere. Emily the Criminal, I never saw a trailer, and I'm at the movies all the time. I never saw an advertisement for that film, and it's a really good movie. I think it was completely mishandled. So just a lot of notes this week from me, the guy who doesn't distribute movies, for the people that do, but I'm also speaking about this from a fan and from a guy who looks at these numbers, I think that all of these movies could have done better 
if they had had a better strategy. And I really do hope that they stay in the minds of some people and that these distributors, if they could not mount a full theatrical campaign for these films, are going to mount aggressive awards campaigns for these movies because they deserve to be seen, not just to win an award, but because they're really, really good movies. Looking at the top 10 grocers for films this year playing in limited release, not a whole lot of change to the top five. BTS Permission to Dance remains at number one, followed by KGF Chapter 2, Marcel the Shell with Shoes on at number three, Cyrano at number four, Lal Singh Chada moves up two spots. It's now a top five release in limited release for 2022 with $3.336 million. Orphan First Kill enters the chart with $3,327,000. That knocks Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris, or at least the portion of its release when it was in limited release, down to seventh place. The Worst Person in the World is knocked down two spots to eighth place. The portion of Vengeance is released when it was in limited release is dropped down to number nine. Crimes of the Future drops to number 10. And then Everything Everywhere All at Once, which was a box office smash, didn't do quite enough solely in limited release to stick on this top 10 chart for the entire year. Of course, the upside for Everything Everywhere All at Once being it is the highest grossing A24 film ever domestically and worldwide. So I don't think they're crying too much about dropping off of this particular chart. It seems like only yesterday I was looking for beach pictures to put in the background of this chart, but this is the 2022 domestic summer box office chart as we go into the last weekend of the summer. Top Gun Maverick at number one with $691.1 million. It looks like it may have just enough fuel to get to $700 million. Another $8.8 million or so, it'll get to that $700 million mark, maybe past Black Panther to become the fifth highest grossing movie of all time. So this movie still has a little bit of a thrill left for us. Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness at number two. Jurassic World Dominion at number three. Minions the Rise of Gru at number four. Thor Love and Thunder at number five. Elvis is at number six. Lightyear's still at number seven, although Nope is now less than $1 million away. It looks like it will pass Lightyear sometime this week. The Black Phone at number nine, where the Crawdads sing at number 10. And a little bit below where the Crawdads sing is Bullet Train. It looks like it may make it to that number 10 spot, but I don't think that my other choice in my top 10 as we look at my predictions, DC League of Super Pets is going to make it. I have not finalized this chart yet, but I think in a couple of weeks, I will know enough to make final definitive calls and recap how I did uh, in my summer box office predictions. So stay tuned for that. It's not going to be next week as the summer wraps up. It is going to be as we track these movies in their final weeks and see just how well they all do and where they end up in the final reckoning. Before we move on, I'd like to thank the sponsor for today's show, ExpressVPN. We're going to be talking about Netflix in just a little bit, and most people who pay for Netflix every month are only able to watch Netflix in the country they're currently located in. Netflix offers thousands of different programs that are available in different countries around the world, and with ExpressVPN, you can unlock those libraries and watch so much more. ExpressVPN allows you to change your online location and control which Netflix library you're able to access, and it's incredibly simple. All you have to do is open the app, select where your current location is set, and boom, that's where your computer is now located. And there's no slowdown whatsoever. ExpressVPN allows for fast downloads and flawless streaming. ExpressVPN is also compatible with all your devices, including phones, laptops, media consoles, smart TVs, and more. And there are servers located in 94 countries, giving you a lot of places to explore. So be smart. Stop paying full price for streaming services and only getting access to a fraction of their content. Get your money's worth at expressvpn.com slash Merle 
And don't forget to use my link at expressvpn.com slash Merle, M-U-R-R-E-L-L, to get an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. And I want to thank them for sponsoring today's show. Let's look now outside of the domestic market to the international market. These are the top five films in all markets outside of the United States and Canada. Minions The Rise of Gru continues to play in countries that it has opened in more recently than it did here domestically. $14.9 million, followed by New Gods, Yang Jian at $12.9 million, Moon Man at $12.1 million, and Warriors of Future at $9.7 million. These are all holdovers from the Chinese market. And then at number five, Bullet Train with $9.4 million. When you combine the domestic market with the international market, we get our top five films worldwide. Minions The Rise of Gru still holding the crown as the highest grossing film worldwide in its ninth week of release, a 41.9% drop globally from last week, $17.6 million total. Bullet Train's at number two with just over $15 million and a 25% drop from last week. Then we have New God Yang Jian, which drops just 34.7% from last week moon man in its fifth week of release which drops just 31.4 percent and then at number five back in the top five is top gun maverick of course in its 14th week of release a 21.9 percent drop globally from last week continuing to be fueled of course by its exceptionally strong performance here in the domestic marketplace looking at the 2022 domestic box office overall nothing has changed since last week Top Gun Maverick, Doctor Strange, Jurassic World, The Batman, and Minions are the top five. Thor Love and Thunder, Sonic the Hedgehog 2, Uncharted, Elvis, and Lightyear are six through ten. Although it looks like Elvis may bypass Uncharted. It just depends on if it's got another, let's say, $1.3 million left in the tank. That may be a tough order to fill, but you never know. The King has been doing some great things this summer at the box office. When we look at the market share for 2022 in total, just a slight adjustment. Universal loses one percentage point, although it still has the top share of the box office this year to date. 25% of all tickets sold this year have been for Universal Films. Sony picks up one percentage point. That takes it above WB. Sony has 14%. Warner Brothers has 13%. Paramount is in second place with 22%. Disney Fox in third place with 19%. And then all other studios maintaining 7% where they've been for quite some time. Looking at the worldwide box office for 2022, just one slight adjustment. The top five remains the same. Top Gun Maverick is at number one. Jurassic World Dominion now less than $10 million away from breaking that $1 billion barrier. We'll see if it can make it there in the next couple weeks. Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness at number three. Minions The Rise of Gru at number four. The Batman at number five. Thor Love and Thunder at number six. The Battle at Lake Changjin 2 at number seven. Now it has been reported that the Chinese release Moon Man has made $419.5 million, which would be good enough for number eight. I have included it in this chart, but it is under review because I found a couple of sources listing this number, but I'm not entirely sure how accurate it is. So it is on the chart, but I'm continuing to do my research because I've seen that there's often a lot of fluctuation with numbers from the Chinese market, and considering that it is so close from it being in the top 10 to not being in the top 10, I'm going to keep my eye on it. So if there was an asterisk to be put there, put an asterisk on Moon Man because I'm going to be making sure that that belongs in the top 10. That drops Fantastic Beasts, The Secrets of Dumbledore down to number 9, Sonic the Hedgehog 2 down to number 10, and Uncharted off the box office chart altogether. 
Looking at the worldwide box office for the previous 365 days, if you take today's date, you roll it back one full year. These are the top 10 movies over that year. Spider-Man No Way Home remains number one with $1.9 billion, followed by Top Gun Maverick with $1.4 billion. Jurassic World Dominion is at number three, followed by Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness at number four. The first battle at Lake Changjin movies at number five, followed by Minions The Rise of Gru. No Time to Die entering its last month, 31 days away from rotating off of this chart it's at number seven fittingly the batman is at number eight thor 11 thunders at number nine and the battle at lake changjin 2 is at number 10 before we look at the streaming charts i always like to take a look at a weekend in box office past and oh looking at this weekend to have a late august slate this strong the late summer gets a wrap for being full of mostly crap and that is true in many years but 2009 had a remarkable slate of late August films. This is August 21st to the 23rd, 2009, the 34th weekend of the year. At number one was the debut of my personal favorite Quentin Tarantino movie, Inglorious Bastards, co-starring my Schmodown compatriot, Sam Levine, with $38 million. In its second weekend, District 9 put up $18.2 million, a 51.2% drop after a shocking opening the week before. Nobody saw the performance for that movie coming. G.I. Joe, The Rise of Cobra in its third week, dropping 45.3% for a $12.2 million total. The Time Traveler's Wife in its second week, dropping 47.7% and a $9.7 million total. And then at number five, Julie and Julia in its third week, just a 27% drop and an $8.8 million total. So you had a Quentin Tarantino film, a Neil Blomkamp, Peter Jackson team up, and an Oscar contender all in the top five, all in late August. It, just to have one of these movies in the marketplace right now would be great, but we'll just have to wait. Maybe next year. Let's look now at what people are watching at home through various VOD services, and we will start, of course, with the iTunes chart. At number one is Top Gun Maverick, which is now available for purchase digitally. This movie is going to be on the chart here for quite some time, as it has been on the box office charts for quite some time. At number two is Nope, which is now available for premium video on demand, the higher-priced rentals. At number three is DC League of Super Pets, which is available for both purchase and premium video on demand. At number four, the Top Gun 2 movie collection, so a lot of folks that maybe didn't own either Top Gun movie, just deciding to buy them both at the same time. Elvis is now at number five, available for purchase and premium video on demand. Jurassic World Dominion at number six, available only for purchase. Minions The Rise of Gru at number seven, available for purchase and premium video on demand. The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent at number eight. Everything Everywhere All at Once at number nine. And then the Tom Cruise wave just hitting there at the top 10 because Minority Report at number 10. Why not? It looked like they cut the purchase price for that movie. And I think a lot of people just want to see more Tom Cruise. They got Maverick. They're like, whatever, let's see that cool Steven Spielberg movie from 20 years ago go to looking at the top 10 most watched programs on netflix for the week of august 15th through the 21st day shift in its second week stays at number one with 63.3 million hours watched and a pfv of 33.7 pfv if you're just joining us means potential finished views so i'm basically looking at the number of hours watched the length of the movie or show and that will give me the number of netflix users that could potentially have finished viewing the entire thing it's a little metric that i invented to sort of even out the netflix charts At 
At number two is the Netflix original rom-com Look Both Ways with a PFE of 21.2, followed by the Netflix original movie The Next 365 Days. Doesn't seem to have quite the power out of the gate as the other films in the franchise with a PFE of 20.9. The Netflix original series Never Have I Ever Season 3 is at number four, followed by the Netflix movie Purple Hearts at number five with a PFE of 11.5. Untold, The Girlfriend Who Didn't Exist is at number six with a PFE of 9.6. And if you do not know the story of Manti Teo, the American football player, buckle up because it is one of the craziest and also honestly saddest things that you've ever heard. But I actually need to watch this because I remember it happening in real time and I would love to see a recap now with the perspective of some time having passed. So if you want a really interesting, crazy real life story, check out that documentary on Netflix. At number seven is The Sandman Season 1 with 77.2 million hours watched and a PFE of 9.66. Speculation that perhaps a renewal order may be coming for that show soon. The only non-Netflix program here in the top 10, The Angry Birds Movie 2 at number eight with a PFE of 7.1. The Netflix movie The Gray Man stays in the top 10 with a PFE of 6.8, followed by the Netflix movie Royal Teen, which is at a PFE of 6.6. Looking at the 10 most watched Netflix programs of 2022, Purple Hearts, you can see there, moves up to number four behind The Gray Man. The Adam Project and Stranger Things 4 maintain their hold on numbers one and two. Hustle drops down to number five. The Sea Beast moves up to number six. Bridgerton season two moves down to number seven. The Man from Toronto, The Tender Swindler, and Senior Year all remain unchanged at numbers eight, nine, and 10. And then when we look at the 10 most watched Netflix programs from June 28th, 2021, which is when they began providing this data to now, Squid Game easily remaining number one, followed by Red Notice, the only two programs so far that report a PFB of over 200 million. Don't Look Up's at number three. The Atom Project is at number four. Stranger Things 4 is at number five. The Gray Man moves up to number six. That moves The Unforgivable down one spot to number seven. Purple Hearts moves up one spot to number eight. Hustle moves down one spot to number nine. And Money Heist Part 5 moves down one spot to number 10. There are a couple of Netflix shows that I wanted to mention really quickly because they've been in the news and I've had a couple people ask me about them. The first is the Netflix original series Resident Evil, which just premiered a few weeks ago. It has been canceled about a month after it premiered. It had 173,400,000 hours watched in its first three weeks for a total PFV of 24.4. That is very low when you compare it to most Netflix original series. The budget for it is unknown, although my guess is it was not not cheap. This was not really a critical or audience hit by any metric. On Rotten Tomatoes, a 55% critical rating and a 26% audience rating. On Metacritic, a 53 rating and a 3.9 rating from the audience on IMDb. So this was a misfire from Netflix, another one from the Resident Evil universe, and probably a, a fairly hefty lost investment. And with everything that's going on, you wonder how much more carefully Netflix is going to be metering the projects that it greenlights. Another show that a lot of people have mentioned to me is an import from Korea called Extraordinary Attorney Woo. And it's partially because you may have seen stories like this. This is one from Forbes that says Netflix has never had a show dominate like Extraordinary Attorney Woo. And this has really been making a lot of news because Extraordinary Attorney Woo has been putting up great hours watch numbers, a huge amount of hours watched 
when we look here at the numbers, 404 million hours watched total. That's more than series like Cobra Kai Season 4, The Umbrella Academy Season 3, and The Lincoln Lawyer Season 1. However, the thing to keep in mind is that the total season length of Extraordinary Attorney Woo, and it's now finished airing new episodes, is 18.7 hours. So when you take those hours watched and divide it by the actual length of the series, you get a PFE of 21.6, which for a show that long is great, but I also think there's been a lot of coverage, and this happens with most Netflix shows, and honestly, Netflix does this as well. They take the raw hours watch data and they make the story about that without taking into consideration how long the show is, or when you look at a movie, how short the movie is. That's why I like to adjust by how long each of these programs are, because Extraordinary Attorney Woo is a very popular show. It's obviously got a very devoted fan base, but when you look at the total number of users that could have sat down and watched the entire thing, it's much lower than some of the other other Netflix series that are much, much shorter. So this is not to take away from Extraordinary Attorney Woo. This is just to kind of contextualize the numbers and, and show that with Netflix and particularly Raw Hours Watch numbers, that's not the entire story. Let's look now at the streaming charts that are put out by Nielsen. A few caveats here. This is only for the United States. These charts are delayed by about a month, and it does not measure viewership across all devices. So this is not the total number of viewers, but this does help give us an idea of how these shows and movies are doing in comparison to one another. Let's look first at the most watched streaming movies, according to Nielsen. At number one is The Gray Man. This would have been the second week of its release, with 22.7 million hours watched. Purple Hearts debuts at number two. So this was the week where it came out on Friday. So this would only be about three days of viewing data. The thing I'm going to be interested to see here when we look at the U.S. chart, because the Netflix numbers we've seen are global, is just how much Purple Hearts closed that gap or overtook The Gray Man in week two, which was its first full week on the streaming service. So this is going to be an interesting chart to see next week. At number three is Sing 2. At number four, The Sea Beast. Encanto returns to the top five. Recurrence on Netflix enters the chart at number six. Moana is at number seven, followed by Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness at number eight. Turning Red on Disney Plus returns to the chart at number nine and zombies three on disney plus is at number 10 so we have five movies on disney plus five movies on netflix these two streaming services are doing very well in the movie space as far as these nielsen ratings Looking at the top 10 most watched streaming shows for the week of July 25th through July 31st, Virgin River is at number one, Stranger Things is at number two, Netflix's Keep Breathing is at number three, followed by Coco Melon and Grey's Anatomy, NCIS is at number six, The Most Hated Man on the Internet enters the chart at number seven, Alone, which is a split between Netflix and Hulu, is at number eight, Blown Away on Netflix is at number nine, that is a reality competition show, not any of the number of movies that go by that title, and then at number 10 is The Term list on Amazon. And that wraps it up for this week. We are going into the Labor Day weekend, and we actually have a first here in the United States. This Saturday, September 3rd, is the first National Cinema Day. This is an initiative headed by the Cinema Foundation, which is the nonprofit arm of the National Association of Theater Owners, or not that NATO. Basically, all day on Saturday, on thousands of screens across the country, including AMC and Regal, 
all tickets for all movies and all formats are going to be $3. And the goal is to get people back in theaters, which given the box office results of this past weekend is a pretty good goal. I've read that they're also going to be showing not just trailers, but some big promotions for movies that are coming out in the next few months. It's really to get people back in theaters, to get them excited about movies, and to show them what's coming up to maybe get the buzz going about movies that are going to be coming out in the fall and going into the winter. This will be an interesting thing to look at when it comes to the box office for Labor Day weekend because obviously $3 movie tickets are a pretty big reduction from where we usually are here in the U.S. Do the numbers go up? Do they go down? What are the movies that rise to the top? I think that Top Gun Maverick, honestly, is probably going to get a pretty big boost because if there's anybody that wants to go see it again, I think a $3 showing on Saturday may just be what entices them to get back into the theaters. There are also a couple of other options if you want to see something you haven't seen before, or at least in a format you haven't seen it before. One new movie, Honk for Jesus, Save Your Soul, which came out of the Sundance Film Festival, is getting a wide release this weekend. Spider-Man No Way Home is coming back to theaters with what's called the More Fun Stuff version. So some extra scenes and stuff that are really just a treat for people to go back and see the movie again. And then, I'm going to try not to get too excited, but my favorite movie of all time is coming back to theaters this weekend. Jaws is getting a re-release in IMAX and 3D. I will be going to see this movie at least once this weekend, and I implore you, if you have never seen Jaws, please, please, please go see it in a theater this weekend with a crowd. I promise you that you will not regret it. I'm excited to see it. I've seen it once on film, but it was an older print. I've never seen it at the kind of quality that they'll be projecting it at for this re-release. Please, if you haven't seen this movie, it is one of the greatest movies ever made, and it is my favorite movie of all time. And you can see it for three bucks. Just, just take three bucks. That's like cheaper than Redbox. Take three bucks. Go see Jaws in a theater. I promise you, you will have a great time. Also starting its rollout this week is Clerks 3. Kevin Smith does these kind of rolling roadshow releases of his movies. So if it's not available near you, it will be soon and there will be a larger release in the next couple weeks. And then also premiering this week is The Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power on Amazon Prime Video. I will have a review for the first two episodes right here on the channel. I'm actually going to be attending the movie cinema preview that they're doing of the first two episodes on Wednesday night. So Thursday, you should look for a review of those first two episodes right here. I'm very curious about what this show has in store. I don't really have any thoughts on it, positive or negative. I just want to see what they're going to do with it. So that wraps it up for this week. Thank you to ExpressVPN for sponsoring today's show. Thank you, as always, to my partners at Carbon Health. And thank you for watching. I'll be back later this week with a lot more movie news, reviews, and of course, next week with the Labor Day box office. Thank you so much for watching. Until next time, stay safe, and I'll see you then. Bye.